So if you've been in Oklahoma this week, you've known we've had a lot of storms and a lot of ice and uh, uh, freezing rain. And uh, I think one of the things um, that always stuck with me is I, uh, I was in Oklahoma in 2009 when we had those terrible ice storms. And the part where, where I lived was incredibly rural, and we had the uh, uh, National Guard come in. And I got to ride like a Humvee and like do all this fun stuff because we were really stuck in this snow and no one had power <laughs> for like two weeks. And like that though to me, just like I, I think it's a great example. Like it's really dumb because Oklahoma, just any amount of non-liquid precipitation on the roads and the whole state just collapses. But I think it's also a really cool lesson in like the fact that, um, you know, community disaster necessitates a community response and like that's something that like socialism and communism are way better than capitalism for because it's like sure under capitalism you can like buy a generator beforehand but like if it happens and like you know you just you can charge an exorbitant amount and just hold people over a barrel or you can just be a community and fix the problem together like you need to anyway (laughs) Yeah, I mean, but I think, I think Cuba is one of the best examples of like a socialist disaster preparedness system because they do fantastic hurricane recovery. I'll just say they get so much snow. <laughs> they, 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 they really ride out those blizzards. I don't know how they do it, but I don't know, man. I I really want to think about those roofers that you like pay two thousand dollars to and then they never fix your roof. You know what about what about their interest, huh? I don't want them to die. I don't want them to starve. I mean, you know, it shady contractors, I think, is like the staple of capitalism the way like bread lines is the staple of like bad Russian communism, like state well, capitalism. Like to, I've had at least three uh, Uber drivers here in Boston who are Irish dudes who also own a roofing company. So I don't know if they're doing so hot these days either. <laughs> They've got, they've just got millions in unbilled service. They're just sitting on, like the. What's grid. actually? <laughs> that's how they make their income look legitimate is Uber driving. <laughs> exactly. That's gonna be the new thing. Uh, it's a damage sharing app for natural disasters where you can crowdfund your home repair and it'll match you to nearby contractors in your area. For exorbitantly inflated prices. Who, who will take that money and never call you again. They'll just <laughs> relieve you of your cash because that's the way it needs to happen. See, I just think, I, I think, one, we should start that business model to pay for the show. <laughs> Price gouging? <laughs> the, the show does not cost that much, let me tell you. Okay, it's very expensive uh, to have a SoundCloud account, a, a, a Pro Plus One, insanely expensive. Costs well, the thing is, dollars. demand has really skyrocketed since the recent disasters, and it's much harder for us to get resources. So we will be increasing our costs by approximately $100 a month. <laughs> the, I'm just saying, the it would three, be, it'd be a good app. <laughs> the three eggs and cup of coffee I had for breakfast this morning cost a total of $483, and I'm going to need to invoice somebody for those expenditures, because if I hadn't done the podcast, I wouldn't have woken up until 4, 5 p.m. 
That's right. We need hazard pay for having to be online in the middle of a natural disaster. Yeah, listen, I walked from my bedroom <laughs> and the United to States my office. is a constant, a constant disaster. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Many months has come and gone since I wandered from my home in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. Many a page of life has turned, many a lesson I have learned. Well, I feel like in those hills I still belong. Way down yonder in the Indian nation, ride my pony on the reservation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. Now we're down yonder in the Indian nation, the cowboy's life is my occupation in those Oklahoma hills where I was born. I'm Adam Burnett, and today we've got Carl Roberts, Stephen Lastman, and Parker Nelson on the show. Uh, hey, everybody. I just wanted to say I'm officially in DSA now. Um, if y'all follow me on Twitter, you probably saw that I, cha- I put the Rose thing in my uh, account to trigger the libs. Um, and, you know, I did that for a number of reasons, ranging from the ideological to the pragmatic. And while I'm a big fan of DSA, I, you know, I wouldn't have joined it otherwise. The show is and remains separate from any political group. And both Adam and Parker are still independent people. And, I mean, Les, you and I aren't representing anybody when we're on here, except for, uh, you know, Oklahoma's. Uh, I represent the Tea podcast. Party, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I represent Stephen Colbert. <laughs> and this is Red Star over Oklahoma. We are a small political and news podcast broadcasting about left Oklahoma. And uh, I just want to take a second too and say that I think it's super important that we mention that kind of stuff uh, just in an effort to be transparent, uh, if nothing else. Um, I think that's one of the things everyone gets frustrated with with news media and we can't you know eliminate bias but we can at least be transparent about it and i think super important to say that our views are not reflective of any organizations of which we are a member because we are dumbasses and we don't want to speak (laughs) for them (laughs) we're dumbasses that like to think we have the ability to critically think when you know debatable yeah just about all the time (laughs) I'm pretty sure I'm a turtle's dream, but let's not get into it right now. Uh, speaking of things we should get into right now, um, our first national story this week is, I'm sure, not going to surprise anyone, but um, the New York Times followed up on some reporting that the... Um, that NPR did that basically found that in the last four years, there has been a major resurgence of black lung disease. Uh, And I will be cutting um, Zoolander coughing throughout this segment. (laughs) Um, But I I forgot you even showed me that last night. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but this, so basically what happened was, is that NPR and the New York Times through some reporters went to 
hospitals in Appalachia country in southwestern Virginia. And I'm trying to remember. Oh, Kentucky, um, where there's a notable historic coal belt and essentially has found that this disease that doesn't really have any cure, it just it happens because you breathe in coal dust, uh, has been on a very sharp rise. Um, this is something that was pretty limited um, in the industrial era and has now come back. Um, in 2014, um, the Obama administration had passed some regulations about lowering dust exposure and trying to um, limit the amount of people who are affected by this. And, you know, as we all talk about, the Trump administration just does everything it can to repeal and replace those kind of things with nothing. Uh, so basically what the Trump administration has said is that this is one of the myriad of quote unquote environmental policies that are going to be reviewed which just means they're not going to be enforcing any standards and using federal prosecutors to go after companies who are violating these things. And so it's just, I think um, the story is. By so review, you mean it's going to be read by Scott Pruitt in the first class of a, of a jet plane, you know? <laughs> read? I think you're way <laughs> overestimating what that guy does for a living. He doesn't read. He might he's also be read too occasionally, <laughs> but he's not flipping through pages. He's also replaced oh, his department. jet with a uh, coal-powered airship to be more in the aesthetic of Industrial Revolution-style robber baron. <laughs> I, that is, like, talk about alternate timelines I wish I'd gotten to be in. I am pretty upset that I missed the the Will Smith wild, wild west of capitalism. Just giant steam-powered tarantulas crushing <laughs> towns and demanding feuds. Well, hopefully with the return of industrial-style lung afflictions, we also have a resurgence in industrial-age socialism. Bring back Eugene B. Debs. That's what I'm saying. But yeah, this, I mean... <laughs> I think I think I think we're gonna get like people in uh getting put in meat in meatpacking industries before we get Eugene V. Debs again. <laughs> Soylent's people. Uh, so I think we took this story because the show this week is pretty heavily laden with uh, healthcare news, and this to me is just like when bad policy dis decision-making impacts bad healthcare, maybe not in the way people see it, but like this to me speaks directly to uh, Trump running on, we're bringing coal back and we're going to do more coal and like what those kind of 
policies advocate is like, yeah, like you guys have made jokes over is like this return to industrial area, terrible work conditions where you just die. There's no repercussions for your corporation and there's nothing to stop them from just having terrible work conditions. And well, that's like I mean that's that's the only way to make coal profitable again is is to be like oh yes how do we how do we hurt the people that work on it more you know like how do we make it profitable by making it like taking away everything that makes any of those jobs something people like dream about or want back how do we how do we ruin all of that and then make all the bad parts worse like bring back the fucking black lung well and we're at a point now where like solar is a more uh, a, a larger growth market than coal. There are more jobs being created in things like solar and wind. And so to like, you know, put increased tariffs on solar power and then switch to coal is really like setting us back from like even a purely Republican standpoint of we want to be the best country by not developing the next like future of energy production. We're falling way behind other countries. I think it can be pretty easily attributed to um, to also like people who have a very large investment. I mean, obviously profit motive who have a very large investment within those coal and industry sectors lobbying pretty heavily to prevent, you know what I mean? That sort of transition. No, yeah, there's of, no uh, logic behind it. It's definitely the lobbying. Yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. Energy sector, especially in Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's about what I had to say on that. So. I'm going to plan on turning it over to Lassie to tell us about racism in Homeland. Yeah, so we got a, we got a real, uh, real spicy one here with uh, home loaning and how that negatively affects people of color, which may be something that kind of intuitively makes sense, but this article really breaks down the, uh, rea- the actual realities of it, how this actually happens. Um, so it starts with... Uh, talking about the federal fair housing act which bans racial discrimination in lending and this was a a policy put forward in the 60s to prevent african americans and latinos who were constantly denied conventional mortgage loans um and so the idea was that oh this has fixed it by ensuring that there is you know regulations for who gets what home loans but one of the real you know the things that stopped this from actually being a progressive bill is what's known as redlining, in which, um, quote unquote, non-racially, you can uh, increase home loan rates to reflect the property values in the neighborhood. And because this is based on the value of the home and like what the market dictates its worth, it's supposedly an equal way to do home lending. However, what the market dictates and what the value is determined by these uh, appraisal agencies is, of course, that communities with large concentrations of Black or Latino people are, of course, higher risk and lower property values. So mortgages are incredibly difficult to get and cost a lot more in these neighborhoods. And this is the Federal Fair Housing Act um, is was you know intended of course to make sure that there wouldn't be discrimination, but it didn't really have anything to stop the implicit uh, discrimination. All you could really do was not explicitly bar people of color from moving into these homes. So it, it was not long before they came up with a very quick and easy workaround. 
just by saying that, oh, well, these neighborhoods aren't very proper, aren't very high property values because there are black people living there. And then at that point, it's just been devalued. Right. I mean, in, the exact, in the exact same you. way. Yeah. yeah. I was just talking to Adam actually yesterday, I'm pretty sure, about um, the one of the one of the podcasts we listened to. Um, it was over Levittown. And when it was initially built all the way up in in the northeast about like the discriminatory lending practices, the um, how how much one individual like the first black family to move into Levittown, like to the extent to which they were harassed by the entirety of the white community. And this is like 19, you know, what I mean, 50s, like not. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very recent. And it, it was definitely uh, absolutely ridiculous in terms of like it, now the, the explicitness being being denied by by law but implicitly like being able to like that one of the reasons that the the people were saying was that it lowered the property values to let let black people in and it wasn't even necessarily uh over their hatred for them as people well and then one thing that um real estate companies and developers have been doing since the uh fair housing act was uh this thing called block busting where they would essentially like rent out a one property in a white neighborhood to a black family convince all the white people that the neighborhood's going downhill so they would all like sell their houses on the cheap then they would rent it out to black families for a couple of years then start jacking up rents and bring white people back in which was like just a consequence of this bill and the loopholes that they found in it but this went on up until i mean i'm sure in certain situations it even still goes on in a way it wasn't until the 90s that they really started putting a stop to the more obvious uh Mm-hmm. versions of people doing this but just the what? fact that this act could allow something like that just despicable to happen shows that it's not nearly enough and is a completely you know while it's a, you know works for maybe you can't explicitly bar black people from housing there are clearly easy ways around it and something like this needs to be way more full-throated to actually have an impact on discriminatory housing i mean even if you look at like the um during the housing crisis in in 2007 and 2008 like the only way you could like the only variable that affected who was getting subprime mortgage loans at certain rates was like race because you know people like white people with certain levels of income were not getting subprime loans and then black people with the same level of income would be getting them like two to three times more and that kind of like racism is just so rampant in how we do housing in the u.s every single facet of it is like this deeply racist thing because we don't have law yeah and like how our law is structured is not this like positive thing where it's like the result needs to end up being one where there's no discrimination instead it's like you have to all you have to prove to prove that it's not racist or something is that there was no like discriminatory intent in the first place if you can get around that so one of the real problems in our country is that almost all of our housing policy comes from the late 30s, early 40s, during a lot of like New Deal era public housing stuff under FDR. Uh, and what that means is that these systems for public housing and, um, you know, just any fair housing was made in a segregated America. This was like all of these policies were made before the civil rights movement, before like. Yeah, and White so it's out to still, suburbia, you know? Exactly. So these, like, everything that's happened since then has really just been, like, a little patch to help these policies that were originally made in, a, in an entirely different country that was 
that operated in a in a Jim Crow way. It's just like they they put these couple of patches on, like the Fair Housing Act, and that's doesn't really fix the deeper issues that were built around segregating housing. Like for example, a lot of public housing during the war uh, was built around factories that built munitions and tanks and everything that they needed to fight during World War II, but they separated it into black and white uh, housing projects, of course, because if you're working in the factory helping the war effort, you still can't do that near the whites. Not, can't, yeah. can't hear that. Oh, well, they yeah, had to also, scream I mean, just to be allowed yeah. to work for the war effort. Exactly, yeah. And but like the the idea was that they would build just as many and of equal quality housing for black and white communities, but then what happened was there was a, like a lot more black families and black workers needed housing, but they built the exact same amount and then would uh, even go so far as to like start changing the designation as white people needed more public housing to reduce the amount of housing projects that the black families have. Well, and also that like that that history. If you do look at that, like the, that New Deal housing stuff is like. I mean, the New Deal is super. We all, I think, like the New Deal a lot, but like, the New Deal had parts where it was just like explicitly like, be racist about it, tagged onto laws in it. Yes, because no, the New Deal Southern was... Democrats were like an important part of the coalition, <laughs> and Southern Democrats were the ones who were like, well, if you share a water fountain, you know, that's just that's communism. That's race mixing. Well, that's the thing. The New Deal is overall a progressive good thing, but it's also 80 years old by now, and we're still operating under its original framework, which is I don't, incredibly outdated. I don't understand. The Second Amendment was the first thing George Washington did, and it's the only thing. We, we can that's, never that's why it's the second, adapt the first or change law. It is <laughs> just totally that's the right that's the gives rise to anarchy okay guys we can't have that and so Dude, no gonna... i was listening to like my parents fox news like watching fox news the other day when my dad was at my house and like they literally were quoting like george washington's farewell address mentioning how much he loved god and things like that and i was just like bro the revisionism here i can't we we look back so far our ideological roots are so deep in these initial <laughs> initial addresses blew my mind but i mean i th i think that's the thing that the story shows is that like this you know this deep like the us was founded as a pretty damn racist society if you want to put it lightly <laughs> and so we're going to need policy to that directly confronts racism like in instance you know like, right. like this thing that the people of color are getting denied loans. It's like, oh, we need to be very aggressive if we're ever going to come to terms with that. If we're ever going to create a more equal society, it is going to have to be like, no, white people should get less, you know, like on average should, should maybe be having less of an advantage when it comes to bank loans. Yeah, and I think that it's just the problem is every time an issue like this comes up, it's a quick fix bill that maybe addresses exactly what the problem is and it's a very short-term solution and there i think there's very little consideration or analysis into what the deeper problems are in this case the deeper problems of like segregation and how we've done housing for the entirety of there being any federal involvement in housing not a lot of forethought for like preventative circumvention and stuff like that yeah not at all um and i think one thing that's worth mentioning is you know 
the last one we were talking about, the last article is clearly like a health healthcare issue and like a public health issue, but to an extent, housing is also really an issue of public health. Like this is a part of like your well-being as a human. And I think that, of course, right now our big fight is to get a healthcare bill for all, but things like housing are in the exact same camp as like these things that are for people's well-being and for their survival. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, housing is one of the biggest social determinants of health. Like, if you don't have good housing, you will be, it's one of the biggest deals that makes you less healthy, you know? It's not, it's right up there with a bad diet or something. Like, it's it's super important to have good housing. Well, and not to mention, I, it's still, I mean, it's not unbelievable because we're a racist country, but it's just very hypocritical with how much we fetishize home ownership in this country as like the mark of being a successful person or like mm-hmm. reaching the goal of what our society says is good to be and then of course to deny certain groups of people this right is clearly still like very strong segregation it's not special if other people can't have it are you kidding me <laughs> that's really the mentality they've got though yeah unfortunate well, while that is unfortunate, I think Parker is about to tell us about something even more unfortunate in Oklahoma. I'm not trying to do uh, trying to do comparisons for unfortunateness, but <laughs> regardless, uh, it might yeah, be more the... immediately unfortunate, but maybe not more unfortunate in general. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Oklahoma amidst. Um, Quite a few other states um, are having a healthcare crisis. When when are we really not? Um, rural hospitals are kind of being given uh, the short of the stick concerning considerations for budget cuts. Um, core funding kind of hasn't been renewed for several not-for-profit community health centers, especially ones that are relying on Medicaid. They fluctuated um, heavily in the past few years from like as low as two percent to as big as ten percent of a hospital's budget. Which, if you understand how much money that flows through a fucking hospital. At any given time, especially where they go into the red, because most hospitals are multi-million dollars into debt, um, not receiving this funding back is is actually pretty huge. Um, numerous facilities in northern Oklahoma have put expansion and renovation plans on hold because of this sort of ambiguity from both the federal and the state level. Um, it's it's gotten pretty far out of control, and uh, there's a number of different reasons as to as to why this is. Um, one of the biggest ones is the Republican plan to cut, I mean, basically their tax plan, um, took a, they had a stopgap that was instituted, uh, passed during the federal budget crisis, and it was meant as kind of a temporary agreement to give the government, uh, to keep the government running smoothly, but it had upwards of 1.6 trillion in cuts to the medical industry. Um, it spanned over like the medical device tax, um, the what was dubbed as the Cadillac tax, um, which is a progressive tax on more expensive plans, of course, um, and just a general tax on health insurance. Um, the major source of funding hasn't really been replaced for the ACA, nor has like the ACA been repealed or like a significant uh, alternative put into place where you can get these types of fundings. And so like it just kind of leaves hospitals with like just kind of a shrug to their shoulders, like what the hell is going on? Um, you can't just really like whole fucking funding without replacing like internal mechanisms of the existing plan it'll just fucking collapse well this is kind of of, scary because it just seems like the road to starting to like shut certain hospital doors and like closing down hospitals where they might be really needed right absolutely and it's the pressure's 
put even worse onto rural hospitals because um, the ACA has an internal um, an internal statute that uh, was supposed to like the, the initial thought was that it was going to increase the quality of care that was given to patients in that it penalized particular hospitals that had recurring patients coming in and out the door that weren't necessarily like under a particular chronic condition or or whatever. And this actually like disproportionately hurts rural hospitals because um, all they see generally is like they don't have that sort of influx uh, of people that are w like one time and go, whereas they have a bunch of recurring patients and don't really have the volume that other community centers have. Um, Variety Care, for instance, uh, it's one of many centers that provide affordable care for thousands of Oklahomans. Uh, it's kind of being forced to consider balancing staff layouts. Uh, they serve like 120,000 Oklahomans, including 19,000 uninsured patients and 32,000 children. Um, yeah, deductibles also really like just kind of everywhere in the medical industry is kind of a mess. Uh, they have kind of um, insurance hikes have increased 76% on average over 2017. I've had a noticeable impact on the number of uninsured patients receiving care. Uh, deductibles increased about tenfold, and I can even say this from the insurance that I get from my job, going from about like $500 before you start, you have to pay out of pocket before receiving insurance benefits, it's upwards of like $5,000, which basically makes like your health plan effectively useless because most families cannot meet these within a year span to receive insurance benefits because it literally resets at the end of a 12-month cycle. So if you're unless, I mean, it covers you if you get hit by a car and need to have a very expensive surgery, but other than that, you're basically denied any other regular medical care at all. Prescription drug costs also being through the roof, and if patients can't afford necessary drugs, they're just kind of like forced back into the hospital for this like recurring cycle of debt, which I, in my opinion is the hot, like the medical industry boom is going to be a massive bubble that explodes because just nobody can get paid anymore. We're deciding not to fund a whole bunch of shit. Like nobody really cares what's going on. And like the medical industry, like the one silver lining in this story is necessarily that of all the hospitals that all these sources that we've been, uh, that we'll link for you in the, the Reddit post have, uh, talk to medically, like uh, the medical professionals are like, we are going to still service people. Like we are in the industry to provide care to people that need it. And we'll figure out where we get paid, you know, but that's not something that's going to stop. So at the very least we have that. I mean, yeah, but that's not, you know, on some level, it's not really sustainable. Like we can't, totally, we can't be running right? a healthcare yeah, yeah. system that keeps doing I, that because it I'm is, grasping I mean, at straws here for calling for something to not yeah. just put, his, <laughs> put our listeners in a fucking depressive coma, you know? So, well, well I, mean, I think there's hope with the masses. That's the, the takeaway. Yeah. We're actually, uh, I'm actually gonna. Um, Green Country DSA said that, uh, like, the event they want us to talk about, uh, one of the two events they want us to talk about is our Medicare for All event this week. And I, I, and I mean, this kind of stuff, when you read this shit, it's like, this is why we need Medicare for All. <laughs> well, I think that the, uh, the rural housing, or the rural hospitals show, like, closing first shows how means testing clearly can't be the way that we do a healthcare because areas that might not have the same performance or don't have the same number of patients but like might be essential for people are the ones they close first because yeah. just this means testing framework they've set up is just doesn't work well, it needs to and, be medicare for all and also this profit setting because it's not profitable to serve a few people it's profitable to yes, be in yeah. a big city and serve a bunch of people because you're more concentrated you don't have to have as many mri machines or some shit you know it's just it's way cheaper Mm -hmm. What yeah, that I means, mean, like, this is one in three Oklahomans that live rurally need access to this shit. And shutting that down, you know, putting them in this budget problem they're in means one out of three Oklahomans might not have access to a hospital, you know? Right. That's and, crazy. And I mean, they should move. It's, it's kind of compounded. Get their yeah. lives together. It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, it's right. true. It's, it, 
it's compounded on the issue of accessibility too, though, between like rural and urban areas, like because we live in such urbanized areas, like we're never more than 10 miles away from any given healthcare facility, right? So let's say the rural hospital closest to you, which is like 40 miles away, 35 miles away closes down and you have like an emergency that doubles like the the time to your next available hospital, like the amount of ambulance time, the, the fact they have to drive, like, I mean, it just disproportionately affects rural areas so much more. And Medicaid expansion too, where like rural hospitals are just on the chopping block for um, states that refuse to expand with the, states that re like refuse back to expand with the ACA back when it was passed. Oklahoma is definitely included in that. Oh yeah. Um, they Thanks kind of attempt- <laughs> God, dude. They, and that's not even to get into one of the stories that I'll probably post I'm not even gonna talk about of Oklahoma like spending a bunch of Medicaid dollars on things it wasn't supposed to. So now we got slapped on the wrist by the federal government and we're not receiving as many Medicaid dollars now because they were spend they were spending it erroneously on things that weren't actually providing. Like they were spending it on training programs for new doctors, but like patients weren't getting care. So now we get we're down like two point six million or something in Medicare funds, which is just lovely. It's like Oklahoma can't do literally anything, right? Especially to, with the things that they're given. Um, they had to buy new gives, Bibles for all the hospital rooms. So, right. <laughs> um, the attempt to turn to telemedicine efforts to offset the cost um, <laughs> hasn't really been as effective as we wanted it to be. But no, we're just going to go the uh, the Mao route where we just tell everyone to use traditional herbal remedies because <laughs> there's just no healthcare in the rural areas. Well, actually, it's all going to go to like itinerant preachers and tents. You know, and so it's just going to be like revival church meetings. Um, <laughs> and then they lay the hands on you and you like speak in tongues and you're. Now we got the bloodletting. We're bringing leeches back. We got the humors. Okay, Let's if we it. do that though, can we regress in all doctors? And like the job of a plague doctor is just to do Halloween 24 7. And that's pretty ill. Like, I gotta say. Oh. Well, we got to step it up. If West Virginia is bringing back industrial era diseases, then we need to start bringing back some medieval afflictions. We can hit, hit the polio. I think we can, we can do a number of things. Spring back rickets, you know. Oh, just smallpox. There was the, the woman who had their uh, child. What's it, what's it smallpox? I don't remember uh, who. What uh, she... There was, I don't know, Adams, there was a major disease affliction from some anti-vax, or from some, from some anti-vaxxer that their child, measles, it was measles. Mm, the uh, anti-vax mother had measles. Uh, I was going to say, smallpox might be a, a different story. <laughs> not yeah. smallpox, definitely not. But uh, she took the child to the hospital. Like, we all got, like, like, like warnings throughout the state, and it was in Norman. So where this this child uh, contracted measles and then went to Chuck E. Cheese immediately afterwards. So they were like, Go go to the doctor if you had been if you had been at two urgent care locations and a Chuck E. Cheese, and it was it was one of the greatest like emails ever alerts or whatever the fuck I think I've ever received. But it was I was like holy fuck thank God I don't live in Norman anymore. I always, I always thought Chuck E. Cheese was gonna like have patient zero of the like robot instrument playing bear uprising, but not the, the measles uprising. Oh, yeah. no. Let me let me tell you, if there's going to be a contagious disease, it's going to start in the bottom of a ball pit. And Chuck E. Cheese's is one of the few places that still has a ball pit. That is where prime, like, if, if you go, if you could go back to prehistoric Earth, you would just find a natural ball pit, and that's what the sludge that grew legs out of the ocean crawled out of, was just the bottom of a ball pit. Those things well, that's are... Why 
How do you how do you, what... how do you clean a ball pit? You can't. Do you clean the balls? Do you clean the ground underneath <laughs> the balls? Do you take all the balls out? No. Here's what happens. Kids shit and piss in there all day long, and then it that shit and piss forms sentience and attacks human what beings. What kids are shitting in the ball pit? Have you met like, four-year-olds? Children. It's have you met children? children. <laughs> I just let adults do that because it's fun. Because that's what I do when I go to ball pits. But that's like just normal, you know. But once you're old enough, you're allowed to shit. Look, in the ball pit. I know that in Germany, shitting in a ball pit <laughs> is the coolest club in Berlin. But here in America, <laughs> we don't do that. No, well, we do. We just restrict thing. it to being eight. <laughs> No, they had that adult ball pit in D.C. that was apparently super baller. I want to go to an adult ball pit. Okay, that actually sounds really fun. Adult ball pits like, sound like phone trying parties. To make viral videos. It just it's sounds like someone can touch setting up ball pits on the streets of New York. Oh. I don't know. But I anyway. think the Earth should be a ball pit, right? Because it's a flat Earth surrounded by a wall of ice in a ring. And I think all the balls just got broken down until they were sand. I think that's true. <laughs> To, to, I'm gonna let to Masha tell you how wrong you are. <laughs> um, to bring this to a close, congrats um, on making they, flat Earth dumber, Carl. God damn it! <laughs> I didn't think it was possible. To bring this to a close, uh, this gives uh, basically all, all the reasons that we've cited, especially the flat Earth theory, um, gives us even more credence to switch to a single payer healthcare system um, where capital investments aren't the driving source behind taking care of people. Instead, the centers are. Uh, should be provided for based upon the needs of the community it is serving. Um, it just sounds like lawmakers are blatantly refusing to do any sorts of planning out of sheer laziness or refusal and are kind of waiting for things to start collapsing around them before taking action, which they are. And so we're just, how far do we collapse before we force them to do something? Or well, I just, I find it so like ironic in like a bad way, like in a dark, sad way that like Republicans are the ones also Democrats, but more so Republicans, and especially in, in Oklahoma, Republicans are the ones we can blame for this. And yet they're the ones who lionize this, like, you know, Jacksonian image of America as like a bunch of human farmers hanging out, living rurally, ironically, a Democratic position um, way back in the day. But still, they like, that's what they lionize. And then they're literally causing this situation where like, fucking preventable diseases that would never that are literally not a problem in any other de developed country are like killing people because i they think won't that's the thing though i think that at least like i don't think the democrats give them anything either so at least the republicans give them like their own lionized image of being a yeah yeah rural hard worker even though either party you just get nothing at least they get the the self-image that comes with republican yeah, and that is, I mean, that mentality. is true. Because, like, like, the mainstream Democrat line is like, oh, you fucking rule people, like, all invented racism. The deplorables. And, yeah. yeah. Well. At least the Republicans are like, we care about, you know, the Republicans are doing, like, the politics of representation without giving people shit. Just like Democrats do the politics of representation, but then are like, oh, but maybe you should not have health care in the inner city because it's not profitable. So I, I mean, it, it, they're, they're like mere images of each other when it comes to that. Well, speaking of right. uh, losing the culture war in leaps and bounds, uh, Carl, you want to tell us about the upcoming teacher strike? Yes. Uh, I, I'm actually really proud of this because um, if you go look at last week's episode title, it's uh, got the imminent teacher strike or the upcoming teacher strike in the name. Oh, oh shit, I should know that. Um, 
And, like, there's been a fuck ton of articles that came out this week in other Oklahoma news media that use the exact same phrasing. And so it's like, okay, I called it. Uh, good job. Good job. Good job, Red Star over Oklahoma. Um, but we're at a point now uh, where teachers are starting to talk about striking and superintendents are starting to talk about striking. Um, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> yeah, we, we were the first place to say Like, literally, we were the first place. Big deal. Um, and what, like, this started after the Step Up plan failed. And that's why we reported on it last time, because they were like, you know, we need a fucking pay raise because we're all living in terrible poverty and we're fed up with it. And so on Friday, the first big thing that happened is that Bartlesville students walked out of, uh, high school students walked out for 22 minutes on Friday to protest the $22 million cut from the state's education budget. Um, and after that, um, you know, in the context of that, there was also a Bartlesville uh, like school board meeting with like some multiple hundreds of people that showed up and were like, we need to start talking about maybe shutting down school. And the Bartlesville superintendent put out a call to all the other superintendents around the state uh, of public schools to say, let's talk about having a day where we cancel, you know, we like cancel school for a day or for a number of days to demand more funding, right? And on the other side, fuck the twenty-two minutes. Go twenty-two days. Yeah, I mean, I'm, and start and that scaling is, I mean, this shit up. That's that's what they're saying. We need to think about this. Um, and what what's also happening is that the Oklahoma Education Association, the largest teachers union in the state, is talking about this. Uh, Alicia Priest, the president of the Oklahoma Education Association said that this strike, possibly going on strike, is on the table, um, which is, I mean, it's got 40,000 members, and she said we need to start building up community support uh, for that. And as well, the executive director of the Oklahoma Education Association said he wants to see a clear goal, like a specific bill in the legislature in order to push for a strike, but that they're they're 100% thinking about it right now. In the same way that the, the super intended of Bart uh, the Bartersville Schools District is saying, let's start talking about doing this as well. Um, on top of that, there's a position I'm going to link to in the Reddit post, um, started by Teresa Danks, which is the teacher we reported on back in August, I think it was, who was panhandling in Tulsa to get money for schools. Um, that's got over 7,400 signatures right now at the time of recording, so that's Sunday at what, what time is it now? 11.30? 11.30, something like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, saying, you know, we need more funding or we're going to walk out. Um, and so I want everybody to go sign that if you can. Um, and and th this is a really big deal um, because the last time this happened, like we reported last episode, um, that's what got us in a way into the position we're in today, but it also got more funding for schools after a four-day teacher walkout. And very interestingly, in 1990 when they did that, West Virginia teachers went on strike in 1990, before Oklahoma teachers went on strike, and then Oklahoma teachers went on strike and got what they wanted. Same well, with West now, Virginia and yeah, yeah now, now we got West, West Virginia teachers going on strike. So and now, yeah, and West Virginia is right down there in like the 45 to 50 ranking for teacher uh, funding. Uh, I think it's in, in it's uh, it's worth noting that the Bartlesville you had the students walking out with the teachers because the line that always comes out whenever the teachers even like talk about striking in Oklahoma is. Oh look, you're hurting the students. This isn't this isn't yeah, about you're your the wages. Yeah. You're punishing the students. But 
the fact that the students are walking out with the teacher shows that the students are well aware what's actually hurting them is what, the terrible what? state treatment of education. And, and this thing in Bartlesville was done, like, the students were like, we want to do this. Let's make this yes. happen. And that's, yeah. that's really important because the students, you know, people who say, oh, the teachers are hurting the students when they decide to go on strike, fucking lying. No, What's the hurting state, the students? Right. The state is hurting the students by yeah. not funding them to have halfway decent <clears throat> schools. Like, who, if you're in a thirty, if your average class size is thirty, or or you have have gone to a four day week, the students are hurting a lot more than if they miss. You know, if if the teachers go on strike for let's say four days, that's the same as four weeks of school in one out of five Oklahoma schools that are on four day weeks now. Yeah, and no one talks about it like that because. They, I mean, they're, they're just scum that make that argument that they're hurting the students. Um, and, and apparently, apparently, the biggest deal right now is that it would be legal for them to go on strike because this is a problem. Oklahoma has a law that says you can't, teachers can't go on strike if they're on a fight with the Board of Education. But that's all the law says. So we would be in the clear for a proper teacher strike right now. Um, so I just want to I want to say something about what we need to do as socialists, as people who care about this, as people who want to see good education in Oklahoma. Um, we all need to start working towards like, supporting a teacher strike today. Um, and what that means is if you're a teacher, talk to your teacher friends and your union rep about it. You know, try to convince them the strike is the right idea and talk to your parents in the community. Talk to your students, too, um, and talk to community leaders, you know, talk to everybody and be like, hey. We need this, blah, blah, blah. I'm sure you're already doing that if you're a teacher, though. But, you know, keep it up and specifically start talking about a strike. Um, if you've got a kid in school, express your support for teachers to the school and, you know, call them up, go to school board meetings like they did in Bartlesville. Um, and start talking about saying you would support a strike. Say that that's okay. Um, and start talking to your friends about doing that too. You know, people who maybe aren't in school is coming with you to school board meetings and doing what they did in Bartlesville. And most importantly, because this is a big problem, and this is one of the biggest problems about the four-day school weeks in a lot of Oklahoma, is you need to start thinking if you're a parent what you're going to do with your children if they can't go to school during a strike. Because it is, I mean, that is hard. That's one of that's one of the biggest criticisms about the four-day school uh, school week for a lot of people is that. Those kids don't have parents that can take care of them because the parents have to work a bunch of jobs. So, so think about that right now, please, if that's something you need to think about. Um, and then if you're a kid in school, you know, do the same thing as your parents. Start talking to your teachers. Start talking to other students. You know, get organized about supporting a teacher strike. Get organized about doing a walkout like they did in Bartlesville. Just try and do some kind of activism, you know? Mm -hmm. And then if you're lucky enough, and this is, this is, I think, probably the most important thing to me. If you're lucky enough to live in a district with a more left-wing representative uh, at the Capitol building down at 23rd and Lincoln in OKC, call them and tell them to introduce a bill that funds teacher pay raises in education by taxing the rich and corporations. Because if there is a bill somewhere in the Oklahoma legislature that the OEA can you know, say, you all pass this bill and the strike ends, and it says that, you know, fucking Devon Energy is going to have to pay 7% GPT. And it says that people making, you know, more than $100,000 a year in Oklahoma are going to have to have higher taxes than the fucking 5% they pay right now on their income. If it says stuff like that, and that's what you strike about, 
there's a very real chance we could see that happen. Giving it um, also the, the movement an actual, like, uh, definitive directive. And I'm not necessarily, I shouldn't say directive, but like uh, like an ultimatum, you know, it makes your argument a much, much more persuasive, especially when you can dig your heels in at a particular position, so. Well, and then it also, I mean, it, I, I think it's really important, like, the reason uh, the executive director of the OEA said that he'd want to see that clear goal is because if you go into a strike with a clear goal and you say, if you do this, the strike ends, suddenly, you know, it becomes very straightforward where whenever everybody is like, oh, you're hurting our kids by striking or something, you get to say, no, they're hurting our kids by not paying us enough, you know, by not doing the thing we want. It if puts they the just onus the on the legislature to fix it and, yeah, gives clear goals that they are the ones who aren't meeting. They're the ones prolonging the strike if you have a message that you start with. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's very straightforward in that sense. And it's also, I mean, the best thing is it's an election year. They're saying... Yes. Yeah, this is the time to put pressure on these representatives because they're for once in their lives in a somewhat precarious position so they can be shaken by something like this. Yes, and if uh, the, right now people are saying that the earliest this could happen is April, and if there's a strike in April about this, there are two ways it goes, right? If there's a good bill that they can support and it doesn't get passed, those people, are, we're going to see a democratic wave that Oklahoma hasn't seen probably ever in its history come the midterms. Or we'll see that happen and see Republicans sh just shoot in a circle at each other because they had to raise taxes to end the teacher <laughs> strike. We are in a great tactical situation for a teacher strike right now. And so we should, everyone in the state of Oklahoma should be doing what we can right now to make, you know, to take advantage of this because it is super shitty where we are in terms of teacher pay, in terms of education funding, but it is, is an amazing position if we just use it right. Well, yeah, and I think, yeah, the more voices that can come out and can tell people that we want this change, then the more effective this is going to be and the more, uh, I guess, really afraid the legislator is going to be that they'll have to do something. This is a statewide problem. Well, so please talk to your friends about it. <laughs> like, yeah, going and, and, Going oh, from, I mean, oh, okay, go Carl. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the last thing is like, it's important, even if you're not necessarily directly involved with public education in your day-to-day -day life, you know, you don't have a kid in school um, and, and you're not a teacher. Um, it's important to still be involved in this because even if, even if this turns out the worst way it possibly could, right? By, by organizing in this instant to fight for our, our basic fundamental rights in the state of Oklahoma, you're going to build the connections and the work necessary to the next time we have something to fight for, the next time we have something that's like a clear goal we need to do. There, there's gonna a long have... list. A and, long yeah, there's, list. I mean, and it's very easy what? to sell people on better education. Everyone knows it sucks in our state. Yeah. It, it's, it's an easy sell to make to people. You can convince a lot of people that this is a good thing pretty easily. More and, of a truism and, than it is anything. And once you yeah. get somebody in on this, you know, maybe you get them in on... on you know, changing uh, policing or, or prison abolition or something like that. Mm -hmm. You start developing the soft power necessary to see big social changes. So, so just get organized on this specific issue because it's a great one and it's a super cool way to pull people in.
like I said, speaking of uh, being in good tactical positions, let's move to talking about good <laughs> pragmatic positions, which is what the uh, Oklahoman's editorial board has taken over the Parkland shooting. So, Carl, do you want to take this one away? Jeez. Yeah, so um, Adam found this one and sent it to me, and whenever we both read it, I, I started crying blood um, because I had officially become possessed by the devil. Uh, this was just straight conduit to hell, this fucking article. It, it's really bad. Road. I'm um, so excited that I haven't read this yet that I get to hear it for the yeah, first time all while we're recording. So. Um, oh, this is great. It's awful, it, guys. It's really bad. Um, Get into her. Oh, I didn't even notice this. It came out at midnight. You know why it came out at midnight? Uh, because the they were summoning Satan. <laughs> it's, it's true now. It's actually confirmed. Um, but so it's called Pragmatism. She died for the school shooting response. And it is by friends of the show, uh, long time, no time, uh, the Oklahoman editorial board. Uh, so let, let's get to it. Um, the killing of children at school is every parent's worst nightmare and justifies enactment of policies to prevent similar events in the future. Yet many proposed responses to mass shootings would do little to prevent their reoccurrence. This must change. Protection of children in public spaces is a serious topic and deserves serious debate based on valid evidence, uh, valid analysis. I, I am already um, putting air quotes around the words valid, analysis, Public spaces, protection of serious. children's, serious. Uh, ba basically, the, the use editorial board. <laughs> um, and so, so they continue. Many reflexively tout "quote unquote" common sense gun control after every school shooting. Events in Florida last week have followed this script. Subtle gaslighting that the fucking crisis actors bullshit. I the second I saw that I was like, oh, you piece of shit, garbage. Follow Did the script. Did you see one of those kids rust like roast Rubio right on yes. like in front oh, of a whole kid. shitload of people? Oh my god! I, I still, Keep going. That video where like he was like sitting there and somebody's like, just tell me you won't take money from the NRA, and he was just like, mm -hmm. it does not compute. <laughs> that was you good. Said, that was don't good. take money in those. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that, let's keep going. Um, yet it's been proven over and over that most proposed gun control measures would do little to prevent mass shootings. How would we um, fucking we know? How would we know? Yeah. How would we, we have any idea what them. gun control does since we've never <laughs> we tried it once? Nothing. It's like so a, a Simpsons episode. We've tried nothing, but we're all out of ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's actually the Oklahoma editorial boards. Um, literally the only thing that's ever gone through any of their heads. Oh, um, they have ideas, Carl. <laughs> you know how this article ends. <laughs> they have ideas. Yeah, they, they have ideas. Um, writing at the Washington Post last year, Leah Labresco, a statistician and former news writer for the website 538, discussed the results of three months' work she and her colleagues did, analyzing data regarding roughly 33,000 annual gun deaths in the United States. Nebresco, previously a gun control advocate, conceded that the case for the policies I'd lobbied for crumbled when I examined the evidence. What of restricting gun show or online sales, which critics decry as a quote-unquote loophole? Between July 15th and November 2017, the U.S. government 
Accountability Office investigated whether sellers on the internet provide firearms to prohibited individuals. GAO investigators made 72 attempts to illegally purchase firearms on traditional quote-unquote surface websites. None succeeded. What of banning uh, vaguely uh, divided... Hold on, hold on. I want to I wanna, I wanna just pause for a half second. I want to note that the Leah Labresco stuff, I want to note that they don't talk about what that evidence was. They just say... She saw the evidence and this, she decided that it wasn't going to work for her and her in yeah. the case she was making. This is like, a, like just classic, like this doesn't hold any facts. It's just like completely empty. And then the next one, well, they oh, don't you even, mean- They don't even link to the article. Yeah, exactly. Like, like I remember when that 538 article came out, I literally read it. Just fucking link to it. Yeah, it's literally. so simple. And then like the next one and like, I, this is, but like, seriously? The government accountability office didn't find the thing that would make their job harder. Oh my God. It's almost like they weren't incentivized to do the thing that would have made their job more difficult. It's just stupid. Also, who's trying to illegally purchase firearms? (laughs) Who's trying to illegally purchase firearms on like eBay or Craigslist surface websites? Dumb. Keep going. Uh, well, also, let's remember that the guy at, at the Parkland shooting bought it legally. Like, none of this loophole bullshit. He bought it entirely legally at a store. And Dylan Klebold you know? and Eric Harris used their fucking parents' guns. Well, yeah. also, what this whole thing seems like is they're just kind of throwing some, like, very disconnected arguments to be like, well, this was actually wrong. It doesn't reduce the amount of guns sold. And then trying to piece that together as to say, so as a result, we should never have gun control ever. Yeah, like, we're going to get to that. They have yeah. more to say. Keep going, Carl, because I'm going to hold on. Uh, what of banning vaguely defined, quote unquote, assault weapons? It's logistically challenging and ignores the fact that handguns have been used more than twice as often as rifles in all mass shootings in the United States from 1982 to 2017, according to available data. Oh, that's true. I forgot passing legislation's hard. Yeah. So we shouldn't also, do it. Also, I love how, like, how they say this is like banning vaguely defined assault weapons. You know, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to say I want to ban handguns or something, but they just ignore that maybe just banning handguns would also solve that problem. Like, that doesn't even come into their idea of, like, possible things to do here, you know? Well, that and the fact that legislation probably would define assault weapons. Yeah. <laughs> pretty, pretty clearly, probably, actually. <laughs> the fact that it would literally be a thing that that's how legislation works, that you have these terms mean things. <laughs> There's this when whole process called, like, writing a bill and then going through courts to figure out what these things mean. <laughs> The bill See, will just read uh, assault weapons equal frowny face, and then that's the law <laughs> now, and then Obama can take all of your guns. Still, See, he's I, not I the president even, anymore. I wasn't even that deep into it. I just imagine Inhofe jerking off in, you know, whatever, his office every day while holding a snowball. Like, that. he's like, wait, I have to write a bill? <laughs> I thought we would uh, define assault weapons in three emojis or less. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, actually the only real gun control liber- that's happened in this haven't you read the, the liberty gun control we've had is uh, Apple changing the gun emoji on the emoji <laughs> page. <laughs> oh hey, that was important. All right, keep going. I have, I have something oh. soon. A federal institute of medicine and the National Research Council report also found that defensive gun uses by victims are at least as common as offensive uses by criminals. 
and studies have found consistently lower injury rates among gun-using crime victims compared with victims who used other self-protective strategies. Don't link don't... to these fucking studies. Don't! Yeah. Also, also, there's this massive thing where we can't do proper studies on this because the NRA refuses to fund, like, makes a thing that you can't fund this shit, right? They make yeah. it a, a thing that the National Institute of Health can't do. Um, Lo local, so we don't have local PDs, local PDs are not required to report either gun deaths or uh, officer-involved shootings to the FBI, except under certain reasoning. And so, yeah, there's no like national data on this. So, like, whatever. This next paragraph, I got, I got, I got some things to say. <laughs> yeah. Okay. In some cases, the roche, the the roche, um, the roach, the rush to quote unquote do something leads to counterproductive results. After the Newtown, Connecticut school shooting, New York legislators quickly adopted new gun control measures. In their haste, they temporarily made outlaws of many New York police officers whose standard issue weapons had gun magazines exceeding the new legal limit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I want all the cops. Yeah, that's a good policy. I, I, I want to, I want to, because this is one of the cases. That sounds productive I, as fuck, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. I have productive results. I have, I, I had to study this case in school and like, okay, one, this wasn't like they, they arrested like a federal penitentiary officer whose gun magazine exceeded the limit after he refused to, um, turn his gun or like to not walk basically he walked into a bar and they were like can't have a gun in here and he was like i'm a federal officer and then they were like oh well we're gonna call the police because you won't leave with your gun that we're not letting you have in this bar and when they showed up they arrested him because it was like exceeding the legal limit on the magazine size but he was like a federal penitentiary officer and let me tell you Nobody got in fucking trouble. No one, this is not like, they, 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 no one got mad or like got in Adam, trouble. This is this just is, horseshit. This is discrimination against tier one operators in this country. <laughs> they, for too long, they've been oppressed. Uh, I just, I, this is just such a like, it's just like literally like not facts. Like this is just like temporarily made outlaws of police officers. Like, no, 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 they didn't. No, that never happened. You're just a fucking liar. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, when they famously overreacted to the child shooting that happened, that... Uh, <laughs> they famously overreacted, and for a second, these fucking scumbag cops that choked a guy to death for selling Lucy's were suddenly breaking the law. Oh my god, And then no one, none of them were punished, nothing, there were no ramifications for them. It's not like they had to literally bury their children. Ugh. So, here we go. I know Parker's going to have a fucking flip shit on the next paragraph. <laughs> this oh, next geez. paragraph is good. <laughs> oh, no. So how, <laughs> so how to respond to school shootings? The issue of mental illness has been a recurring theme. It's time to consider making it easier to have people involuntarily committed to treatment centers. <laughs> Christ, you are the first motherfuckers I am committing, Oklahoma Editorial Board. Holy goddamn shit. Are you... The right to own guns is more important than literally taking away the freedom of people to be where they want to be. So Not just that, but fuck you. We'll institutionalize you. We will throw you in the loony bin and slam the door if you freak out because your kid died. Go, yeah, what, go make do. another kid. 
we we find people that we think might do school shootings, and you know we uh, set up a network of trains to start relocating them to different parts of the country, and uh, really massively expand our rail network to make sure we can get them to these new places. And once they're in separate communities, well, that's when we really get started. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. Alright, keep going. It's just, like, like, if the whole point here is to protect this constitutional right to own a gun, right? What about the constitutional right not be fucking arrested (laughs) for nothing? Well, Carl, the Constitution is inherently a document that can never be changed, so everything in there is ironclad. you can't change the Constitution. It's illegal to change it. There's not a method for that. (laughs) We haven't done it, like, 20-something times, It's the Constitution. You really think you could just, like, start amending things to it? That's absurd. That's absurd. Also, who's ever heard of repealing part of the Constitution? It's... it's I'm glad we can't drink alcohol at all in America, (laughs) and it's illegal. Uh, entirely, and the woman can't vote. You know, that's, I, that's I, great. I am still just, just blown away that they're literally like, you know, nah, involuntary commitment of just people. Who? For well, see, what? They're also, shut up. They're shut up. Also Stop like worrying acting. about it. Bro, they're not, like, they, they could have not put this in here, and I mean, amidst the, all the other idiocy, like, I totally feel. You know, like, it's not surprising, it was coming, you know, but... They act like they can't already do this anyway. Yeah. Like, what the? You're arresting people and you either send them to one place or the other. It's like, what needs consideration to making people, giving people involuntarily committed to treatment centers? Like, A, you already do this. B, like, you, you cite no enforcement Citations mechanisms are not that aren't necessary already there. on, on uh, Oklahoma editorial board opinion and articles. They just don't exist. I mean, well, that's the thing. That when you say when you're trying to argue that we shouldn't get rid of guns, you're like supposed to put forward some alternative to be like, well, here's how we fix the shootings that happen regularly. But then you come up with something so absurd that it will never actually happen. So nothing really happens. Well, well, like, oh, you, did you did you look ahead? Because I think Carl's about to read us these next three yeah. paragraphs. That no. uh, they have even more things <clears throat> for us to do. My mind's right. just been fucking blown how you can just include those three sentences and be like, oh, solution to <laughs> when I have all of these hard, you know, no loopholey, no, no sweeping generalization statements that I, I've shut you the fuck down. Yeah, let me show you what the real problem is. It's called mental health. Let's throw motherfuckers in the loony bin. Let's go, Carl. <laughs> okay, so they continue. Um, schools have become targets for those bent on inflicting terror. So security measures may need to be dramatically upgraded at schools nationwide, including the hiring of far more armed security guards so that they can sit fucking outside, not go in when they hear gunshots, and then have to fucking leave the force because they didn't do the fucking one reason they're supposed to be there. Four armed deputies at Parkland stood outside and watched. Yeah, well, there's not been a single school shooting stopped by school security guards, but what has happened is plenty of kids have just been, like, harassed and got the shit kicked out of tickets them and, and citations and beaten, tased for minor behavior violations or something. Oh, yeah, but that's why they make this argument, because they want more, they want more fucking children of color to go to the private prison that's paying the Oklahoman to continue printing itself. That's why they write this shit. Speaking of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma is printed in a prison like those giant license plate stamps. There's just a bunch of prisoners at a printing press. 
So, get to, speaking of, yeah, go. okay, allegedly, <laughs> measures like quote unquote stop and frisk could be deployed to identify and arrest those carrying illegal weapons. Okay, I I have to take so this one for half a come second. Out and so, like it literally is <laughs> them saying, no, yeah, is no, the no, to school shootings. We'll just assume you know what they look like. As soon as kids walk in the door, <laughs> slam them against the fucking wall, spread them, you know, do a full cavity search on anyone you want, especially that hot girl this 40-year-old security guard's been eyeing <laughs> for the last three or four days. All right. Oh, God, if they talk back, that, beat yeah. the oh, shit out God. of them. <laughs> and then you tase them, get a little bit of a cop feel in once they're asleep, and then once they wake up, fucking ruin their whole lives. Ruin their chance to get into a college, everything else, not because they did anything wrong, but because you can. <laughs> Keep I want, going. I mean, how they write this, too, is they make it sound like they just want stop and frisk to be, like, around the fucking anywhere in the country. They should be able to stop and frisk you for, for carrying illegal weapons. Like, they want, like, fucking Stalinist Russia during the Great Terror so that everybody can keep owning guns. I don't know. I mean, this sounds I feel like almost the, uh, SS. lunches were better in the gulags than they were in public schools. Yeah. No <laughs> they shit. They were actually um, <laughs> uh, oh, God. This last bit is going to be the worst. Yeah. Okay. Rip it off. So Do it like this, a band-aid, Carl. Okay. The prosecution of quote-unquote straw purchasers who illegally obtain guns for others should be increased. <laughs> Funny story. One time, Lassie and I went to <laughs> a pawn shop, and I almost was a straw purchaser. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Forgot about um, that. <laughs> we didn't do that though. Did not break the law. Um, but to 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 rip off the band aid to the end here. Um, many who demand gun control laws object to these alternatives, arguing they infringe upon civil liberties. There will be a trade off in that area. But if the goal is to prevent school shootings, the debate should be based on pragmatism. What will save student li- students' lives? Not on political correctness. Pragmatism? Oh <laughs> oh Do you can you Google a word? That's a right. Word. The politically correct uh, policy. Twenty-four-seven stop and frisk plus an irrational amount of armed guards means prag- like and involuntary commitment for anyone who talks back. But what <laughs> what is what is more politically correct than saying we should massively curtail every American civil liberties? So that people can own guns. Like the whole Second Amendment fetishism is based upon like a cop stopping you and you do the sovereign citizen thing of you just fucking shoot them. That's the whole thing that the Second Amendment bullshit is about. And they're saying we should massively increase the rights of the police and fucking security guards to touch your taint at their own will. Yeah, that's the thing. They're all like, I want the gun. about, like, no illegal search and seizures? Like, do do they just care about one amendment and not the rest? I guess. They really don't care about, like, the the They would be okay with all of them going away. (laughs) Except for two. Like, really. I don't think they give a shit about any other amendment. It's the... And even then, they can't read the first one. When we found this article, man, I... Just the end, it's just like... it's i mean we make the joke all the time and i mean every it's kind of gotten played out of like oh to trigger the libs but like oh we have to make this based on pragmatism and saving students lives not political correctness like fuck you libs you aren't gonna do anything it's like that's not what any like fuck yeah you know democrats are awful whatever fuck them but you know what 
common sense gun control. Why don't we try it? Why don't we just fucking try it once? Why don't we just see what fucking happens if we get some guns off the street? And if we get guns into, like, like actually put in, like, diligent, like we talked about last week, like, diligent gun reform to, you know, um, affirmatively prove your mental health to you know, require you to keep firearms in certain ways to limit the amount of like high magazine and like death causing tools you have. Like, uh, actually, that's to. not that's not pragmatic, Adam. What is pragmatic is uh, just <laughs> guessing who could be a school shooter and sectioning them, just putting them in asylums. That's and, pragmatic. And Adam. fondling them, <laughs> and yes, yeah. putting them in asylums, and yeah, uh, arming. Yeah, uh, you know, 40-year-olds who stare at kids all day long, because that definitely won't at all ever blow back in anyone's fucking faces at, at ever once. Not a single well, time. Well, like, some of the shit they list, too, like, stop and frisk. Far more armed security guards. All that is meant is that, uh, uh... Are you gonna fund these things? Well, uh, no, they'll totally fund <laughs> these things. Yeah, this is the one thing that people will fund. children going to fucking prison. Like, we've done that. We did that shit after Columbine with far more armed security guards. Look at what how stop and frisk works. You know, it targets precisely the people that don't do school shootings, and you know the white males that shoot up schools are gonna be the ones that don't get stopped and frisk. Are gonna be the ones that the security guards identify with because they fucking like circle jerk. They're like the hot cheerleader or something together and in a really creepy, disgusting way. Like you know that's how it's gonna be. Well, what I don't get is how they just have the cognitive dissonance to literally ignore the fact that there was an armed security card at this shooting that did But there weren't eight. He okay, here's the thing. There weren't there weren't fifteen ex Navy SEALs who True. just sit there in their fucking cool Humvees and <laughs> wait to roll up and like deploy. That, I don't understand. It's it, it goes with this whole fetishization of the military and everything else. But like, I just don't get why they have decided that. Oh yeah, it'll be fine if we have armed guard. We'll just we're just gonna make this a was, fucking war zone. We're just gonna put there was kids. literally a mass shooting at a military base, and a there guy have been several fourteen people at a military base where everyone has guns and is trained to use them. <laughs> no, but 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 you know, Miss Killacker's 8th grade English class is going to be just fine cuz she's packing heat under her desk. And uh Bill the the lazy-eyed security guard uh who won't take his dip out to make fun of the black girls in school, uh he's going to protect everybody with his Glock. And it's going to be fun. Yeah, he's going to protect everybody by shooting black students. That's literally what this, like, that's basically the result of these kind of programs. Is you know what we really need protecting students. our schools is Hezbollah. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, to be fair, safe. they've been protecting Syria from evil American imperialism. Yeah, <laughs> if anyone's going to protect from American shooters. I was going to say, Boko Haram has been protecting African schools from <laughs> girls for years, so we could just have them. Oh my god. So why don't you tell us about socialist events happening in Oklahoma god. so we can get past this cheeseburger of shit. Oh. Uh, well, Hezbollah has a meeting on the... <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is not... We're, now we're actually going to... This is all ironic about Hezbollah FBI. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we will have a later show though about is Hezbollah on the anti-imperialist left or not? Um, but... A pragmatic solution to uh, Hezbollah. That that solution actually is more pragmatic than anything they said. <laughs> Having Hezbollah patrol and secure our schools. Um, okay, socialist events in Oklahoma. <laughs> uh, we don't. Last week was a banner week, everybody, but there's still some cool stuff going on this week. Um, Dream Action Oklahoma's OKC group has a weekly vigil to promote immigration justice on Wednesdays at noon in front of an unmarked ICE office located at 3625 Northwest 56th Street in Oklahoma City. So go do that because ICE is basically where like rent-a-cops go to be actual fascists. Um, and fuck ICE and Dream Action Oklahoma is doing great stuff. So, so go support that if you can. Um, the Oklahoma Brown Berets will be out supporting the Deaf Grassroots Movement United of Oklahoma's rally in front of DA David Prater's office on Friday, March 2nd, from 1 to 4 p.m. to protest Prater's statement that Magdiel Sanchez's deafness was irrelevant in his death at the hands of Oklahoma City PD, um, which is also important. We reported on that when it happened. You know, it, Magdiel Sanchez was shot by the police because he could not uh, hear them since he, he was, was deaf. deaf. Yeah. Um, yelling at him to put down a stick. Um, and they shot him dead. And you should go protest. Um, the, the fucking DA thinking that doesn't matter, because that's, that's disgusting. Um, the last one we have that we are not involved with uh, is an event by Green Country DSA. They're having a Medicare for All forum on Monday, February 26th. From 5.30 to 6.45 at OU Tulsa's Innovation Commons. Am I getting a bunch of sound now? Yeah. A bunch of static, I think. Yeah, okay. Um, it, it only started right at that last one, so you can cut it out and cut it back in. You, you, you should be good now. Okay. Um, finally, uh, we are co-hosting the Green Country DSA Candidate Forum on Saturday, March 3rd from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Eastside Christian Church. Uh, that's super cool. Um, there's going to be seven candidates uh, for Tulsa City Council. There's Charles L. Wilkes running for District 3, Kara Joy McKee for District 4, and John Harley in the third for District 5. Teresa Marler is running for District 3 of the Tulsa County Commission. For the State House, there will be Angela Graham running for District 66, Josh Martin for District 70, and Shea White for District 77. And then finally, Rex Berry is running for Oklahoma's first congressional district, which is Tulsa's House District in Washington. Um, we've been involved in writing some questions for the event, and Adam will be facilitating the discussion as well as recording it. And Parker will be there too. And yeah. currently, our plan is going to be to release it as a special edition. We'll have more details and a time frame for that after the event. Um, and we'd like to give a really big thanks to Green Country DSA for inviting us to come on board for that. And, you know, if y'all want to hang out with Adam and Parker for a bit, y'all want to grill some, some actual people going into elected office, um, you know, come by. It's going to be a fun time. Uh, but because of that, I won't be in the show next week. Um, because I'll be busy editing that candidate forum. Uh, but the rest of the crew will be here. And as always, you can find us over at Twitter at Red Star Over OK. You can find us on our subreddit, our Red Star Over Oklahoma. You can listen on SoundCloud and iTunes. 
You can send us comments, questions, complaints, redstaroverok at gmail.com. Tell your friends and rate and review on iTunes, guys. Thank you so much. We'll see you next week. All right. See you. Later. Bye.